Welcome to the Wisconsin Vegetable Gardener. I'm Joy Baird. We are in the big garden today and we are planting one of the favorite crops of many gardeners and that is tomatoes. Now, if you ask 2,000 tomato growers how to plant their tomatoes, they're going to give you about 4,000 different answers. Now, the key with planting tomatoes is you've got to bury them deep. On a stalk, on a tomato, excluding grafted tomatoes, this does not apply to them. You want to plant them in the same the same depth as they are in the containers. On normal tomatoes, you will see hair follicles all up and down the stalk. Those are potential roots of the tomato. So anytime those come in contact with soil, roots can form. So we want to dig the hole deep enough to where we can get about 70% of the plant in the ground. Now, you can do this in a variety of different ways. You can use a hand trowel, a shovel. We found a post hole digger seems to be the best tool for this job. What is all this? It's a research lab, agricultural engineering. Dean, Dean Barry, founded Beta Vegetech five years ago. So what exactly do you do? We're saving the world. Oh, good for you. I was getting a little worried about the world. Is that a square tomato? Yes, it is. It's a pet project of Dean's. The square shape means that farmers can pack 35% more tomatoes per carton. It's cheaper, more efficient. So, so that means every slice is exactly the same size? How does it taste? Who cares? It's a square tomato. You're doing the Lord's work. Literally. Live from the Genesis Art Supply Building on North Elston Avenue, just this side of the concrete-encrusted banks of the north branch of the Chicago River, it's the Mike Novak Show, still Chicago's only locally broadcast deep green gardening and environment program, heard every Sunday on Q4 Radio and at MikeNovak.net. Good planets hard to find, temperate zones and tropic climes. True currents and thriving seas, wind blowing through breathing trees, strong ozone and safe sunshine. Well, good planets are hard to find. It's a long way to Tipperary. That's why he's riding the Megabus. Here he is, Mike Nova. I'm going to turn on all these mics because I can't figure out which one works. But we all have to get ready to do one more time, right? Here we go. And one, one more time. time. Okay. We are officially off and running. Yeehaw. Uh, uh, yeehaw. <laughs> yeah. Yeehaw. Wow. Woo-hoo. Wow. Okay. It's Sunday morning. <laughs> I'm so glad I'm here. <laughs> Uh, okay. All right. That now, guy's snoring in the studio again. All right. I think we've got George. Talk to me. I want to make sure I still got your mic on there. Hey, Mike. There you go. Okay. And Peggy, you're there. I'm here. Okay. That's Peggy Malecki on my left, who left her computer at home. Wah wah wah. wah. Okay. <laughs> Beer ding for that. Uh, and uh, George doesn't need it because he's a 21st century guy. Boom. Computers are, uh, they're so passe, aren't they? Oh, yeah. Well, I have the iPhone. I just... You don't know how computer. to use it. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> hey, give me a ding there. All right. <laughs> Ba-da-bum-tsh. Thank you. Uh, wow, have we got a show today. Uh, a lot of really cool stuff. Starting with, uh, you heard at the top of the show, 
Joey Baird. He is one half of the Wisconsin Vegetable Gardener. Actually, you would you might say gardeners because there's two of them. And Holly Baird is also part of that. Uh, and they are going to start the show via Skype. Uh, it, it's, it's a Skype experiment today, okay? Because after we talk to them, and, we're, and by the way, if you've got questions about gardening, uh, you, heard, you heard him talk about tomatoes and about how deep you should plant them. And I learned some stuff by watching that video of the Wisconsin Vegetable Gardener. Uh, about tomatoes that I didn't know before, but he's right about one thing. Joey was right about one thing in that thing uh, in that clip we played, which is you talk to two thousand tomato gardeners, you're going to get four thousand bits of advice on how to do it right. Because I realized when I was watching him plant the tomatoes in his garden, I had not done it the same way at all. Okay, and I thought, well, am I going to get tomatoes? Well, yeah, I'm going to get tomatoes. But are you going to get as many as you could have gotten? No, of course not. On the other hand, I live 90 miles south of Joey and Holly. So uh, I get the benefit of two extra weeks of growing season here or three or whatever. I'll ask them about that. So they're going to be on in just a second. And by the way, they have a whole media empire there, and we'll, we'll talk about that. Uh, then at 930... It, it really gets interesting because we are going to Dublin, Ireland. We're going to Dublin this morning uh, to talk to Pat Fitzgerald, who is with Fitzgerald Nurseries, the ironically named Fitzgerald Nurseries in Ireland. Uh, and he uh, worked together to do a project with the Chicago Park District. Um, and it's uh, the Chicago Bridge the Gap Garden. And basically, it's a bridge covered with plants, uh, only two types of plants. And uh, it's at this event called Bloom in the Park in Dublin. And we're going live to the park. And as a matter of fact, um, I sent you, George, the picture that I took about 20 minutes ago. Mm -hmm. uh, we did a screenshot uh, off of... Uh, uh, Skype. Skype. Thank you. <laughs> I was going. <laughs> I was going through my head. Twitter, Facebook, um, your computer. The yes. Uh, the the all. You know. You, oh, by the way, you'll you'll appreciate this when we talk about that stuff. All right. Where is it? Where is it? I gotta find this. Um. Where did I call it? Oh, I I have it in here someplace, and I wrote it down. And I can, and when I do find it, um, I I will let you know. But I can't. I I came up with the perfect phrase for those. Uh, oh yeah, the Facebook appliance and the Twitter contrivance. Thank you very much, because <laughs> that's what they are: the Facebook appliance and the Twitter <laughs> contrivance. And I don't even know what the Skype is. The Skype something. We'll come up with with the Skype. So we're going to go to Dublin to talk to Pat Fitzgerald and Peggy Stewart and Matthew Barrett, who are from the Chicago Park District, and they're over there. Um, this uh, this uh, garden they put together won a gold award. The Royal Horticultural Society, La Dida, Ooh. gave them a gold. So they will be there. Then, 10 o'clock, one of my favorite people in Chicago, Michael Howard, who is the founder of Eden Place Nature Center in Fuller Park. 
the Fuller Park neighborhood of Chicago. And if you haven't been down there, you should go. Um, But we're going to talk about the trials and tribulations of trying to put together a nature center on the south side of Chicago. And as you can imagine, it is not the easiest thing in the world. And this guy can tell stories. I mean, he's he's seen it all. It it started out as a it was a toxic dump, and isn't it, it, you hear that so often? Well, the place started out as a toxic dump, but this was really a toxic dump, uh, and they turned it into a nature center for the kids and the adults there, and they're doing all kinds of great stuff. Uh, Michael Howard will be here in studio ten forty five. Rick DeMaio, weather as always. And one more thing before we get going, Peggy, because it's on the cheat sheet here. Um, you and I have just gotten involved in a film that's coming to Chicago, and we should let people know about this. I mean, we're not in the film. Mm-hmm. I wish I were in the film. <laughs> oh, well, it wouldn't make any sense because it's a documentary. If I were, Anyway, what's the film? <laughs> the film is called At the Fork, and Crate Free Illinois is hosting this film um, in partnership with the Humane Society of the United States and Whole Foods Market. Oh, uh, and don't forget Family Farmed. And Family Farmed. And it's going to be Wednesday, July 13th in the evening at AMC River East 21 Chicago Theaters. And here's the deal. It's a film about your food. Uh, now, there have been a lot of those films out, but this one in particular, uh, and George, you will appreciate this. Uh, Peggy, I, have you had a chance to see it yet? No. Okay. I'll, I saw the trick. The snippet of the trailer. The trailer, yeah. Um, and we're going to post all th- this on Facebook and Twitter. But right now, if you go to my website, MikeNovak.net, right at the top of the page, you can see uh, the link in, uh, and make a reservation to see this film. But it's about how your food, well, if you're a meat eater, how it's grown, how it's raised, um, and what you should know about that, and that there are... There are good people out there doing this, and there are not-so-good people out there doing this. Um, And it's really not even the people. It's the system. Mm -hmm. The system um, really stinks uh, in in terms of uh, confined animal feeding operations. It's a horrible system. Uh, But uh, Dave Matthews is behind this film. Uh, They they use one of his songs in it, and he's... uh, um, he says, we need to produce healthy animals, animals that can enjoy a f- life free from cruelty. At the Fork raises this issue with heart and clarity. And it does. And it's, a, and it's a very interesting story about a guy, the filmmaker himself, meat eater, Italian, marries a vegan. And hilarity, hilarity ensues. An Italian and a vegan walk into a bar. Ba-dum-bum. <laughs> Except that she's Italian, too. So I don't know how that works. Uh, but that's that's the story. So uh, go to my website, MikeNovak.net, right now. You'll see at the fork. Go over to the right side. It says click here to make your reservation. I'm going to be there. Peggy's going to be there. A bunch of cool people are going to be there on the 13th of July. Uh, and uh, we hope that you see this film. It's uh, quite moving. Quite quite a moving film, and uh, I hope you're part of it. Okay, now we got that all out of the way. We go to Wisconsin. Uh, a little bit north of here to uh, the Wisconsin Vegetable Gardener, and that's Holly and Joey Baird. Good morning, you guys. Good morning. Good morning. Whoa, that was loud. Okay, I'm going to bring that <laughs> bring that down just a little bit. Okay. Um, uh, you guys have set up this, uh, it's kind of impressive, the empire of the Wisconsin Vegetable Gardener. You've got videos on youtube you've got podcasts and i should mention 
before I go any further, that I am part of their podcasts and have been all this year so far. I think I missed one because I was, I don't know, in the hospital. Um, but um, I have been doing environmental reports uh, for the Wisconsin Vegetable Gardener, and it's just, you know, my ramblings. I go on for, you know, four or six minutes, something like that. Um, and I think they asked me to do two to four, so that, you know, that's that's always what's going to happen with me. I go on much too long. Have you gotten any hate mail for that yet, Holly and Joey? No, no. Uh, it, it adds a level of in, in intelligence to the podcast, I think. Are you sure you're talking <laughs> to the right guy? <laughs> Um, so, uh, they've got, what you need to do is go to the Wisconsin vegetable gardener.com. It's that simple. And then all that stuff pops up, all the stuff they do. Um, you guys live in Wisconsin. How did, what's, you know, what's the basic story of, of how you began growing stuff and trying to teach people about stuff, growing stuff? Well, we both, I, well, I grew up in, in the city of Milwaukee, and we grew a small garden, and then I met Joey. Joey grew up on a, on a big farm in southern Illinois, and um, and that's, then, well, I, I lived in St. Louis for a while, which was not too far from where he was from, and then I was, I was done in St. Louis, and I said, I'm moving back to Wisconsin, do you want to come with me? And he decided to come with me, and then... We, I think that summer we didn't really grow anything, right? Yeah. So then the following summer, my mom said, I have this big backyard. I'm sick of mowing it. Do you want to grow vegetables here? And we're like, sure. So, so 1,800 <clears throat> square feet later in six years, that's where we're at. Yeah. <laughs> that's pretty much it. You know, it sounds like, though, um, KAM Isaiah Israel on the south side where their whole mission is to, to get churches and, I, you know, you should do this also with homeowners to, to rip up their lawn and put in vegetable gardens. Um, yeah. It's a lot more satisfying, isn't it? Well, it's a lot tastier, too, because grass is not that good for us. <laughs> no, not really. Uh, it, you know, it, we don't have as many stomachs as uh, some of the other critters out there. Uh, so, so you started growing stuff. So when did it become apparent that you wanted to teach people how to grow stuff? So we started with a Facebook page. We noticed that there wasn't really any Facebook pages for vegetable growers um, in the Midwest. So we started with a Facebook page for that. And then we would get people that would ask us questions. And we could provide them links um, to different, you know, extension extension offices or even like Bonnie Plants or whatever. But um, then I won this video camera at work. And I said, you know, we could... <laughs> We could make videos. We could show people. We could actually show people. Now we didn't go to school for this. We don't know what you know. Any, you point and shoot. That's all we knew. Right. So, so uh, fortunately, Holly's brother kind of knows a little bit more than we do, and he's our guy. And it's always nice to have a guy if you're doing stuff like this. And he kind of guided us, and we talked to other individuals in the in the garden industry, and and uh, kind of stumbled along. And and each video becomes better than the previous one. And more and more people come to us and say, thank you, you taught us something we didn't know, or thank you for making that mistake so we didn't make it. And uh, that's where we're at, and we got the podcast and digital magazine and kind of doing this all for fun right now. 
and not money, right? It's <laughs> you're, you're, as I've discovered in radio and and other social media, there's not a lot of money in it, at least not at the beginning, right? Right. There's no regular paycheck that comes. There is some there is some finances that help along, but nothing that would be, hey, we're quitting our jobs and this is what we're going to do full time. So what are you finding? I went to your Q and A page at thewisconsinvegetablegardener.com. They were asking you everything from how to grow stuff to what kind of microphone do you use? And you just answer all of them. It's like you take all the questions in stride. Right, right, because people are interested in knowing behind the scenes and general growing questions. And, uh, you know, if it's not personal, we're going to answer it because it it helps everybody be better at what they're doing. Somebody else may want to start a a gardening YouTube channel, and we have found in our experience – you can kind of have crummy video, but you better have good sound because I'll watch a bad video that has bad videography, <laughs> but if it has bad sound, I'm not listening to it because you're trying to hear what they're saying, the wind's in it, and the whole deal. And we started out that way, right. and we advanced up to better equipment, but uh, we're, we're willing to help anybody. You know, you've actually made a very good point, and I've, I've noticed this over the years because I've been an audio person for decades, for a while, I was a uh, an engineer at Gargantua Radio, sometimes known as WGN, and um, uh, I, and I would watch television and notice that the video portion of the program was always really good. You could always tell what was going on with the video, and then people with the audio you'd get hum and you'd get distortion and and i would always think why is it so much harder to get the audio portion right than it is the video portion um and you said a very smart thing joey because i i also i help uh, a friend of mine do videos for an outfit called the illinois institute for continuing legal education so it's you know 200 lawyers in a room and me taping this presentation and that's kind of our motto it's like well whatever the video looks like it's the audio that counts because that's what people are paying attention to that's how they're going to learn be so that they so they need to hear that clearly um however i was looking at your video of uh, planting tomatoes which i learned a lot from by the way um and uh the audio and the video are good <laughs> so you guys you guys are getting better as you said the everything's getting better and better as you go along. Uh, yeah, and uh, the, uh, we always at least try to teach one thing during the episode. The, the the disadvantage with some of these videos that we have, like the tomato one you're speaking of, is almost 30 minutes. But there's so much information that I can't talk fast enough to cram it all in eight <laughs> minutes. And if you try to do that, it gets so annoying because there's such rapid uh, rep. You know, you're just talking so quickly, you can't retain the information. If you're a listener or a viewer. You've got to take it slow and piece by piece, and people appreciate that information, even though it's a longer video than we're normally uh, producing. Uh, we're talking to Holly and Joey Baird. That was Joey. They are the Wisconsin Vegetable Gardener. Um, you know, that's uh, you brought up a point about doing videos and anything you do. You know, for instance, if I'm doing this radio show, I get off the air and I talk to Peggy or I talk to George. I say, "Oh." I meant to say that thing, and it never it never got into the conversation. Do you find that with your 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 podcasts and your videos too? I think with with the podcasts, not so much, but with the videos, since I'm I'm usually a lot behind the camera a lot. I'll kind of pay attention and think, okay, did he cover X, Y, and Z? 
and then if if I feel like he said something wrong, I'll be like, we need to redo this or redo this portion. Um, or if I, I notice that, you know, maybe there's a little bit wind in the microphone, I get kind of anal and I'm like, no, we need to redo this. And so it's just about kind of, I think it's nice because we work together as a team. So one of us is always paying attention and trying to catch stuff. Because we don't have a script. We're, we're not reading off a teleprompter. This is all ad-libbed. Um, prior to, let's say, we, 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 we do the episode, we film it on Saturday. Friday afternoon, I'm going through kind of mental notes. Here's what I want to do. Here's what I want to say. And kind of mentally rehearsing what I'm going to say. Obviously, there's things that's missed. And sometimes it benefits us. Like, I'll do a scene on how to plant green beans. I don't like the way it sounded from me being in front of the camera. So I'll say, let's reshoot it. Then I'll take both of those clips and then listen to them, watch them. And sometimes I'll take portions from clip one and clip two, mingle them together to where it doesn't look like there was two separate clips and cover almost all the information that I was wanting to get out. Uh, okay, uh, Peggy, um, we, we, we should have folks... Um, oh, there, there goes my uh, phone. <laughs> you're you're my, getting tweeted. I'm it's... getting tweeted like crazy, but I think it's just George here in the studio. <laughs> so it's not like real people. It's, it's George. Um, it, but if people want to, uh, we've got a few minutes, and, and we could get Holly and Joey to answer a couple of questions here perhaps. Uh, how would they do that, Peggy? So they can tweet the questions to at Mike now or go to our Facebook page, Mike Nowak, the Mike Novak Show. You can at s- Mike now. I can't talk because <laughs> I'm not looking at my computer. Because she doesn't have one here because she left it at home. Yes, go to the Mike Novak Show on Facebook or tweet to at Mike now or call us in the station, 312-985-7334. 7834. Seven, yeah, that, 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 that eight is covered up by the picture of Pat Fitzgerald there. That I, that, it, that's where it showed up on the, uh, on the computer. 312 985 7834. And I noticed that uh, if you go to Q4, and that's uh, www.que4.org, we're on camera today. The camera's up and running. Uh, nice color shot. There's plenty of color. I got the nice blue shirt. We shows. We did. Uh, George has got his, You can't see him. He's out. Of, but he has his Blackhawks in, T-shirt on. Put your hand in the shot now. There, there, there's his hand in the shot. Uh, you can also see uh, us uh, there. But if anybody's got a question, uh, sure, send it along. Uh, one of the things uh, w- w- I want to ask you is about all the stuff you do. And if you're like me and you're a gardener, you never find enough time to do, a- to do the actual gardening. But do you, do you guys do that? I mean, do you, do you have a problem fitting all of this in to your schedule? Uh, not necessarily because we... I, I prep for what I need, what we need to film during the week, and then on Saturdays we just roll into the garden. We've got front yard garden here at a residence. We have the big garden at Holly's mother's house. We're helping establish a garden at Holly's sister's house, so we're looking at about 2,000, 2,100 square feet in three locations. So I'll prep the location, so all we got to do is walk in, plant that one pepper plant or tomato plant or carrots, and explain how we do it, explain the, the procedure, and then that, that pretty much completes that task of planting that particular uh, variety uh, or weeding or uh, harvesting, et cetera. But that takes uh, an effort too. Uh, absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Uh, it takes time. It takes, you know, making sure everything uh, is going to work, making sure the weather is going to work. So if it's going to be a downpour monsoon on Saturday, 
We try to squeeze it in on Friday evening so we can have content for the following week because we do four to six different videos. Okay, this is where your genial host steps in and says that as we were recording this program, we had a technical glitch right about this point. So we lost a couple of minutes, not a lot. Uh, But instead of just having it jump and you be kind of confused about what happened, I'm going to tell you that at this point, team member George Brigandi asked Joey Baird about biological controls in the garden, like praying mantids and ladybird beetles or ladybugs. Um, Because I'm growing a a handful of vegetables and fruit. Uh, What's your input on that? And have you guys done anything kind of similar with uh, praying mantises or ladybugs? Um, does it work, and uh, is it uh, effective? Uh, praying mantises are, are a great defense to unwanted bugs in the garden. Uh, here in Wisconsin, praying mantises are a thing that not very many people know of because they're more of a southern Illinois, mid-central Illinois uh, insect. Ladybugs are very uh, prevalent up here, and if you do have, a, have an infestation of, let's say, aphids, that um, are like little ticks for your plant that suck the juice out of it. Uh-huh. If, if you don't have ladybugs, you can mail order ladybugs and distribute them in your garden. The, the way you would want to distribute the ladybugs in the garden would be right at dusk, water down the garden, uh, the area that you're going to release them because they've been in a package for a number of days, uh-huh. and then at dusk, release them, let them crawl out of the container or the device that you've got, and then they will find the water, drink it, and they'll more likely stay in the garden, one, because it's dark, and two, because they found moisture, and they won't fly away as if they would in the middle of the afternoon. Ah, so like if you don't do it at dusk or, or really supply water, will they return at all, or is it they'll just kind of disperse? And They will disperse okay. to find moisture, and when it, in the middle of the afternoon, it's active time for them. At dusk, they know it's about nighttime. They find water, and they feel happy and home <laughs> because they've got everything they need. The life of a ladybug. I, I, I love, love the idea of uh, mail order ladybugs. It's like uh, <laughs> hashtag mail order ladybugs. <laughs> mail order bride, ladybug bride. So, okay. Uh, you know, one of the things that you, um, and by the way, that's uh, uh, Joey and Holly Baird. They are the Wisconsin Vegetable Gardener. Go to thewisconsinvegetablegardener.com. And uh, you can see all of the stuff they do. Uh, we have just a couple of minutes left, but uh, okay, let's talk tomatoes because uh, everybody wants to grow a great tomato, and that's one of the videos uh, that you just put up recently. And um, you you pointed out something in the video that I appreciated, which was that uh, tomatoes like a slightly uh, acidic pH, uh, which makes sense because their tomatoes themselves are acidic, uh, but what was that pH level, uh, Joey, that you talked about? Uh, six, six, two to six, eight. Typically, every other vegetable we see in a gardening book, they say oh seven point oh, a neutral uh, pH base is what they want. If you can get your soil just a little acidic, uh, six, two to six, eight, you're going to have a better result in tomatoes. Now, this can be a challenge because you'd want to add a sulfur. Uh, mineral to the the soil, which can take time to break down. Uh, there are some fast acting, but you got to be careful with those because if you make it too acidic, the next plant you put in next year is not going to be as happy with the soil as the tomatoes are this year. So <laughs> be careful with that. If you it, well, it, see, you're you're assuming people do it right and not plant 
uh, tomatoes again in the same spot. See, you're you're already assuming that they're going to rotate their crops, which they should, because you should not plant tomatoes in the same place from year to year. Uh, but you also mentioned the the sulfur. From what I understand, uh, if you sulfur, that's and you mentioned it might take a little bit of time because that's a slower acting process. Um, uh, and as you and as you said, there are other ways to to lower the pH of your soil, but you, it's it's a little tricky. You got to be careful. So as you you know, and part of the problem here in Illinois, and I don't know what you, what's your pH like up there where you guys garden. We're between about six, eight, and seven, three, somewhere in that area, based on what garden you go to. Yeah, and we're 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 in that area here, in uh, in uh, Illinois. I've uh, had soil tests done in my yard, and it was all above seven. Uh, so, but it hasn't stopped me from having great tomatoes in the past. So you're just saying you can make them, you can you can you can you tweak them, tweak them just that much more, <laughs> right? right? Right. It's not going to make you not have tomatoes, but if you can get it down a little lower, you may have better tomatoes, more luscious tomatoes, tastier tomatoes, and a happier tomato plant. <laughs> the ladybugs will love them then. I love happy tomato plants. Uh, well, give me uh, uh, 30 seconds on what the, the latest – What, for instance, what did you tape yesterday? What's going up next? Uh, we're going to talk all about how to plant the best pepper plants on Tuesday in the ground, in the container, in giant grow bags and how you can get the best success in growing peppers, even if you put them in the ground now or if you're going to go and buy some at your local <clears throat> independent garden center, and uh, you'll have peppers all summer long. Nice. And, of course, in Wisconsin, as I mentioned uh, when I was writing it up uh, for my blog, uh, you guys are a couple of weeks behind there. Uh, are you a little, you know, it's a little cooler today in the next few days. Are you concerned about that at all in terms of your peppers or your tomatoes? No, because we've hardened them off, and they can be uh, they can get used to the the fluctuation temperatures. Now, if we had nights that was back thirty three or twenty eight, then we'd be concerned. But we're we're fine <laughs> because they can acclimate to the nighttime and daytime temperatures and not be uh, hurt uh, at, at all because they're used to the outdoor temperatures now. No, we're not at twenty eight. Uh, no. Or- <laughs> <laughs> Although, you know, I'll ask Rick DeMaio, uh, our meteorologist. You never know uh, what's going to happen. Uh, Holly and Joey Baird, thank you so much. Um, folks, again, uh, you should check out all the great information they have. Um, you're all over the place. You're on social media. Uh, but the best place to start is the WisconsinVegetableGardener.com and uh, if you listen to the podcast, number 24 is up there. I do my environmental report every couple of weeks for them, and they've still not gotten any hate, hate mail, so that's a good thing. Um, so I want to thank you guys so much for being on the show today. Thank You're very you. welcome. Yeah, Thanks thank for, having for having us. us. All right. Have a, have a great week, and get to work in the garden. We will. Thanks. All right. Bye-bye. It's the Mike Novak Show on Q4 Radio. Uh, I see, uh, I think, Pat. Uh, Fitzgerald just uh, he's he's eager to uh, to get us uh, on the phone, so I'm going to have to give him a call right away. You should know this: as Shakespeare once wrote, "That which we call a rose by any other name would smell as sweet, unless thy name be knockout." Okay, it didn't exactly go like that, but Shakespeare lived about. 400 years before we started cloning the smell out of most of our iconic flowers. But 
That's not always the case, as my buddy Jean Starr points out in the May-June issue of Chicagoland Gardening Magazine. She tracks down roses, of course, peonies, sweet peas, heliotropes, lilies, carnations, hyssop, and even coneflowers. I didn't know coneflowers had a smell, did you? I've never noticed it. Yeah, and she looks for what's, you know, the pleasing scents for modern gardeners. Now, she doesn't seem to mention hyacinths, probably because she knows that if left in a room for more than 10 minutes, they will asphyxiate you (laughs) and your canary. Uh, Then there's my column on the inside back page of every issue. If we're talking about smells, oh, you saw that joke coming last Christmas. Chicagoland Gardening Magazine, a publication of state-by-state gardening magazines, Go to chicagolandgardening.com, but if you're in other parts of the Midwest or the South, try one of the 21 magazines in those regions by going to statebystategardening.com or call 888-265-3600, 888-265-3600. Hey, this is Peggy. When I speak at local events, people often ask me, aren't you the Peggy in the Natural Awakenings ads? And that makes me happy, because it reminds me that Chicagoans want to live healthier lives, and Natural Awakenings magazine helps them do just that. Natural Awakenings, it's the greenest, healthiest magazine in the Chicago area. Each month, we bring you the latest information about health and wellness, complementary medicine, fitness and exercise, raising healthy kids, and even healthy pets. You'll find articles about healthy homes, too, including gardening, energy efficiency, and green living. And if you love good food, you'll always find tasty recipes and cooking hints. Check out our monthly calendar. It's full of events to help keep you connected. Natural Awakenings is available in more than 1,100 locations throughout Chicago and suburban Cook, Lake, and McHenry counties. And it's free. Or visit us online at nachicagonorth.com. Natural Awakenings. Feel good. Live simply. Laugh more. Okay, I'm going to interrupt for just a second because I know that my friends uh, are out there in Dublin. Uh, Pat Fitzgerald, can you hear me? I can indeed, Mike. Hi. Okay, I'm, getting, I'm just letting you know that we're here. We're going to get to you in just a second, okay? No problem, Mike. Yeah. All right. All right. We're going to finish some commercials because that's how we keep this business going. Trying to weather the housing market? Consider replacing your windows and siding. Remodeling Magazine says they're some of the nation's most popular projects today. Trust DR Services Unlimited, 847-998-1687 for all your remodeling and energy needs. Rated A-plus by the Better Business Bureau and recommended on Angie's List. DR is a proud member of NARI. DR provides exceptional quality at a fair price. Contact DR at 847-998-1687 or at RestoreTheNorthShore.com. It's not just your garden. It's the way you live. And there's so much to know. But you have help. Bonnie Plants. Now with Bonnie's app, Homegrown, you can learn about veggie and herb varieties, track and record your garden with photos and notes, share on Facebook and Twitter, and so much more. How'd you ever grow without it? Get Homegrown with Bonnie Plants for iPhone and Android. The more you know, the better you can grow with Bonnie.
Uh, Pat Fitzgerald, do you do you happen do you happen to recognize that music at all? I didn't hear any music, Mike. Oh, oh well. I was playing a little bit of the Water Boys there for you. I don't know. If- ah, okay, thank you very much. Uh, uh, and we go now live to Dublin, Ireland, to talk to Pat Fitzgerald, and I think we actually have a connection here, and it's it's great to talk to you. I wish, uh, as I said earlier, that uh, we were a uh, a video outlet or we were television, so that folks could see the beautiful beautiful display behind you however you sent the photo of it earlier and we're posting it right now uh george you're going to get that on it's up on uh it's up on check out that screenshot uh it's up on twitter right now there's a there's a photo of you pat uh standing uh in front of the display that you created the chicago bridge the gap garden uh so congratulations on that it's uh, Matt, Matthew Barrett uh, of Chicago Parks was the designer, and Matt is here with uh, Peggy Stewart. I'm going to let you say hello to Matt and Peggy, Mike. Good morning, Mike. How are you? You know, Matt, it's, uh, it's great to talk to you again. You and I have, have not worked together in several years, but I don't know if you remember that um, we shot... was in the conservatory shooting your pilot. That's right. We, we shot the pilot for Dig in Chicago. Uh, and you were so wonderful to help us out with that, and it turned out great, and we were able to do the television show for two years, and so I appreciate that. Kind of strange to reconnect with you while I'm standing in a garden in Dublin. No, oh, you, oh, Fitzgerald and Peggy Stewart, but, you know, as uh, every Chicago, you got to do it a little differently, because that's how we're going to do it today. Yeah, well, um, I'm, you guys are kind of com- yeah. you're coming and going, but I think I've got you right now. So um, um, uh, let's see if we can get Peggy in there and explain how the connection happened between uh, Pat Fitzgerald and the Chicago Park District. Well, I'll tell you how the connection to Dublin came about. It was 30 years ago. I worked with Gary Graham, who's the manager of Bloom. He kind of invented it with a group of people 10 years ago. We've stayed in touch through the years, and he's created really an international sensation here in terms of this garden show, and he really wanted to showcase kind of the best of the best, so naturally he came to Chicago to see if we might be able to put together a garden, and I do citywide culture arts and nature programming at the, at the Chicago Park District, so I had to go to the experts, and so I had to go to the conservatory staff, and they dreamed this huge skyscraper bridge up, and here we are in Dublin, and we won the gold. We won the gold for Concept Garden, so we're at, over the moon and thrilled to be here. We get, I gave you a ding on the beer dinger here for the gold. Uh, that's fabulous. Dinner, chicken dinner. I like it. You know, I looked at your video online, uh, and that was quite an effort to put the bridge together because folks look at, they think about um, a garden design. And I will talk to Pat about the plants in a second. But before we get, before I get to that. Um, you guys had to construct this bridge, and it's actually two bridges. And I saw the video, and you've got these welders there and, and working with the metal. That was quite uh, a task, wasn't it? You know, it was, uh, it was. It was a very humbling experience working with structural engineers and architects and, and learning, you know, part of this process that I had never worked with before. But uh, we worked with a great company uh, in Chicago, Vector Fabrication, uh, they're located just uh, east of the conservatory, so it's just a short little uh, drive away. And they they built the bridges in a modular system, and uh, so that it would just be easy to construct here in the field in Dublin. 
and uh, it was all bolted together, and they just did a tremendous job, and they were so helpful along the way. And then, you know, we got paired up with a contracting team, Alan Smith Consultancy here in Ireland, who helped us get the bridges up. And once they were up, uh, there were definitely a lot of questions and a lot of raised eyebrows of what are the what are the boys from Chicago doing here with these giant steel, uh, you know, skyscraper roller coaster looking things. And uh, we waited until the last possible time to get the plants in. And once we got the plants in, it just softened it up and really made the whole display pop. And that would not have been possible without the help from Pat Fitzgerald. It must have been uh, quite an effort to uh, to ship that over there, uh, loading, unloading, uh, and getting it into place. Yeah. So luckily, we uh, we also have a, a, a generous uh, sponsorship from C.H. Robinson, a local logistics company, who helped us manage not only the the containers themselves, uh, but making sure they got through the ports in time. But you know, there's something to be said about the the story that we're trying to tell with. Chicago and Dublin and the trips that, you know, so many, so many people's ancestors have made and the, the journey across the sea, uh, it just, it seemed like the right thing to do to have it fabricated in Chicago and let the, let the bridge actually make the trip too. And it worked out great. And so C.H. Robinson helped us manage the, manage the shipment and got it through ports on time. And it showed up here in Phoenix Park. And I, and I have to tell you, it was a pretty surreal moment to turn the corner and look at a garden uh, with the bridges getting constructed that you haven't seen in a month and a half, but the last time you saw them was in a, a fabrication yard in Chicago. It was really, really something. Uh, that is Matthew Barrett, who's the Deputy Director of Conservatories for the Chicago Park District. He's there with Peggy Stewart, who's the Assistant Director of Culture, Arts, and Nature. They are there with uh, Patrick Fitzgerald, uh, who... Well, he he grew the plants. Uh, I and before before we get to Pat, I just have to ask uh, one more question of both Peggy and Matthew. And um, uh, folks should know that they're standing live right now in front of this garden that they constructed in Chicago and moved to uh, Ireland, and the plants were grown in Ireland, and it's it's it's, it's wonderful effort uh, bridging both uh, countries, and uh, they are in uh, Dublin right now, uh, and, and this is where we're getting our live signal. And um, But I had to ask Peggy and Matthew, what's it like uh, from from the tourist point of view uh, to be in Dublin? Well, I have to say uh, it's been an incredible experience. I, I was saying even before we got the gold medal that the whole experience has been the pot of gold. I mean, people from the gardeners, all the other gardeners here are incredible, really welcoming. And then the public, now that we've entered and started, we're in the fourth day of the garden show. People are loving the garden show overall, but they're really intrigued by our garden. And they keep saying, welcome, and are you having a wonderful time? And when will you be back? And they tell us the stories of Chicago. And so I don't think we would change anything. We've just had a wonderful time all the way around. Yeah, and, and I would have to say that at this point, it's, it's, it's not a tourist uh, you know, impression or feeling anymore because Everyone here has made us feel so welcome that we just feel like regular Dubliners. And, you know, we, we fought morning rush to the job site. And, uh, you know, we had to deal with, you know, packing our lunches and getting to the job site and working hand-in-hand hand with a lot of the other gardens and designers that are here on site. But uh, all told, everyone has been incredibly supportive and kind and generous. And it's just been an incredible experience that none of us are ever going to forget. And the only adjustment that I would make is maybe you not call Patrick Fitzgerald Patrick Fitzgerald, but the Plantsman Powerhouse, because this 
was just unbelievable. And the reaction that we're getting to the carrots of Arillo is just outstanding. People are just loving the plant. It works great in our space. And uh, I am so excited that Pat is then going to take these mother plants and have them make the journey to the United States. I mean, it just keeps the story going. It's incredible. You know, Peggy Peggy here, my, uh, Peggy uh, Malecki, who's in the studio with me, wants to know whether you're going to be able to recreate this in Chicago. You know, we had actually talked about bringing, bringing, the, uh, bringing the whole thing back. Um, originally, you know, the plan was we were going to leave it here, and then we toyed around with, with bringing it back, and uh, I don't think that's going to be possible. Uh, there are multiple, uh, multiple towns. And it ain't going home again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like at, first, at first, it was going to be like, there's no we? way back. Sorry. We get to take this thing, and now it's going to be a giant arm wrestle of who's going to win ah. out as the, uh, as the winner to get it for their town. It's getting just a great reception. Uh, I would love to try and recreate it in some way, shape, or form back in Chicago so everybody could experience it. Uh, but the reaction has just been overwhelmingly positive, and and everyone that has been coming to the show, as soon as they find out the backstory, mm-hmm. uh, it really means a lot to them. And so it, it's great that it's not just looking at plants, but also diving into the storyline. Well, let me let me talk to the powerhouse, okay? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, Mr. Fitzgerald, Mr. Powerhouse, uh, you you obviously uh, have uh, earned a lot of respect from uh, these folks because they know what they're doing. So uh, you must know what you're doing, too. I just go with the flow, Mike. Uh, <laughs> it's a privilege to be involved in it. And uh, uh, anybody who has relatives in the U.S. always feels connected to the U.S. And in particular, Chicago, I have some relatives out there. Um certainly in the south side of Chicago and around Chicago. So um, it's a fantastic feeling to be involved in it. So the honor is all mine. Uh, well, you've got to tell us about, you know, uh, well, uh, Matt was just raving about the Carex Everillo. Um, and folks should know, uh, and, and I have all kinds of different people who listen to the show. Why don't you explain what a Carex is for uh, my listeners? I will indeed. Um Carex is a plant which I've been growing since I first founded our nursery back in 1990. And uh, it's actually Carex Oshimensis. So it's a native to Oshima and Honshu Island off Japan. And uh, we started off with an old variety called Evergold, uh, producing on our nursery when I founded it in 1990. And um, it's a plant that I've grown every year of my career. And uh, back in the early to middle 2000s, I started experimenting with breeding from this variety. And now we've got a, a whole concept um, from this one selection that we bred from called Evercolor. And in the Evercolor program, um, we have um, many varieties such as Everest, Eversheen, Everlime, Everoro, and Everillo is one of those varieties. So Everillo actually in the U.S. is is quite popular already, even without Matthew Barrett. It's it's already a a seller in the U.S. and it's under the Evercolor program. And I think at this stage it's in quite a few of the retail garden centers in the U.S. Yeah, without our breeding program. Uh huh. Uh, Yeah. uh, From what I understand, I was seeing that uh, in information you sent me. 
that uh, you sell over 2 million of these plants each year in 26 countries. That's amazing. Yeah, that's, that's correct, Mike. It's two, around 2 million, if not over, actually probably over it in the whole series uh, of the Evercolor series. And Everillo was released in 2011, and it's quickly becoming the, the superstar of the Evercolor program. What other kinds of plants are in the Evercolor series? Um, it's actually all Carex. Um, at the moment, it's all varieties from that original breeding program. So they're all different varieties. There's a website there, evercolorplants.com, and you'll be able to see all the descriptions of the varieties in the current program. I actually have, I've, I've put that the link uh, on my uh, blog, which I wrote for today's show. So folks go there, they can read uh, about the uh, Evercolor plants, and it's uh, www.evercolorplants.com. Uh, and by the way, color is spelled C O L O R. Not there's Correct. no there's no U in it. No U. <laughs> uh, now the other plant, and there's two plants in in the bridges here. There, the first is the uh, the Carex everillo, and the other is the Sun Sparkler Sedum Dazzleberry, and that came from a U.S. breeder, Chris Hansen of Gar- Garden Solutions in Holland, Michigan. Tell us about that plant. Yeah, and the beauty of this project, when, when I saw the opportunity that um, a sedum was looked for, um, I just looked across Lake Michigan, and I drew the dot between Holland, Michigan, and Chicago, and uh, I said, wow, wouldn't this be really neat? And I, I think Matthew and his team thought it was a fantastic set of events that we were able to collaborate with a breeder over in Holland, Michigan. So Chris, Chris Hansen is a breeder of a series of sedum called the Sun Sparkler Sedum, and this sedum is a variety called Dazzleberry. And Dazzleberry was just the color that Matthew was looking for, and it's actually a, how would you describe it, Matthew, a sea blue-green color, and it's a fantastic fit as a contrast with the Evercolor. And the fact that a fellow breeder, a fellow American breeder, was sending these um, sedum across the Atlantic at the same time as I'm sending Everillo across the Atlantic, but we just couldn't resist. It was really the whole uh, plant side of the story complete. Uh, but as you explained to me, and by the way, folks, uh, let me explain one more time. We are talking live to Pat Fitzgerald in Dublin, Ireland, uh, at uh, the uh, Bloom in the Park which is uh, an annual event, and it's the, 10th, it's the 10th annual, so you guys must be very proud of the fact that you took gold at the 10th annual Bloom in the Park. Yeah, it's a, it's a big event for Bloom and in the history of Bloom, and to have a Chicago garden in it as well, it's, um, it's really making this 10th anniversary very, very special. Uh, as I mentioned, that's Pat Fitzgerald standing in front of the garden in uh, Bloom in the park, and Peggy Stewart is there, and Matthew Barrett from the Chicago Park District. I want to get back to the uh, the Dazzleberry though, because one, <laughs> we, you and I talked yesterday uh, in anticipation of this, and Ireland is not exactly the the country you think of when you think of sedum, is it? No, and we found that out. Um, Matthew saw my face gingerly coming up here a few days before the construction. And I was a little bit worried, would we make the quality grade to 
do the garden justice, and I have to get Matthew to tell me, do the plants look good? The plants are absolutely incredible. They're full. They, uh, they're cascading over the side of the bridges like we wanted to to soften up the edges. And even though, like, to your point, uh, Mike, the you know, sedum is not something you think of when you think of Ireland, but we wanted to have a, a good representation for the plant material for Chicago and wanted something substantial, something with a kind of a steely blue look to it, uh, thinking of all not only the fact that our bridges are made of steel, but just, you know, the architecture and the skyscrapers that people identify with with Chicago, uh, hence the plant choice. And what Pat was able to, to produce and bring up to Phoenix Park is just second to none. Uh, Matt, Matt, maybe you can explain a little bit again, and, I, and I'm doing this for, for all of my listeners because some people might not be as familiar with what a sedum is. Uh, perhaps you could explain why uh, it's uh, difficult to grow in Ireland. Well, uh, it retains water, <laughs> and there's a whole bunch of water here. Uh, very rarely do you experience the weather that we've been experiencing while we've been here. Um, I keep telling the joke that I can't wait to get back home and take off my watch and show the incredible tan line that I have and tell people, yeah, I got this great tan in Ireland. It's been, it's been 70 to 70, you know, two degrees almost every single day be, since before the show opened up until today. I, I would guess that today maybe it's topping out at 75. People are just they're just amazed. They're, they're thanking the Chicagoans for bringing this weather with them, and I'll continue to let them think that we did. <laughs> <laughs> with the shorter days and uh, with the, the moisture in the air, you know, the sedum needs to dry out in between waterings. It needs good, bright light. And uh, so I knew that Pat was feeling, uh, you know, a little uh, like it was going to be a, a challenge. But, it, you know, once you meet Pat and you see the operation that he's got, and you see the way that he looks at plants and talks about the plant maintenance and management of his uh, operation, uh, you, you know you're in good hands and you don't have to worry about a thing. And, and everyone here has been commenting about both plants. And uh, there are quite a few number of people that do not recognize the sedum. They want to know what it is, um, which is good. You know, we're introducing something a little different here along with some of the artistic elements in the garden. So it's, it's something that everybody can, you know, everyone's finding something to uh, – you know, that piques their interest and they want to learn more about. And who knows, maybe Patrick can, you know, do a hybrid here and, and develop his own, uh, his own sedum that's, you know, for the climate here in Ireland. A moss sedum, maybe. A moss sedum. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure that's going to work. Caraxidum. Uh, a caraxidum sounds like a good idea. <laughs> but I like the I, I like the challenge though, and I think you should take it up. Well, listen, uh, Peggy and Matthew and Pat, thank you so much for making this happen today. We did it on kind of short notice, but when I saw that you were there and uh, Pat was, uh, you know, he's. He's a social media fool. Uh, he knows all of this stuff. And uh, so he got us uh, Skyped up here, and uh, I'm, I'm so glad it worked. It's, uh, uh, I can hear the folks uh, behind you there, and it sounds like everybody's having a great time. There, Mike, one, one thing I wanted to mention is we did get some sponsorship from the St. Patrick's Day Committee in Chicago, and they're coming on a visit tomorrow, so we're really excited to have them here as well as uh, Ram Recycle and R.J. O'Brien. So we really had some Chicago support. And, you know, while, while you're saying that, Peggy, I will note that I put the link to uh, your fundraiser on my website uh, so that folks can still uh, contribute to this, can't they? 
Absolutely. I really appreciate the fact that you brought that up. That's a great thing. We still have some gaps that we need to bridge in the uh, in the financial world. <laughs> that would be absolutely fantastic. And I just have to say before we let you go, uh, you know, from the bottom of my heart, I want to thank the entire Chicago Park District for all of their help. It was, you know, from administration to trade to everyone that just lent us a hand to try and get situated and ready to come over uh, to Dublin and be able to put this show together. All the conservatory staff from both Garfield and Lincoln Park Conservatories. And then here in Ireland, everyone has just been incredibly, incredibly helpful and supportive. It's been a tremendous experience. And thank you, Mike, for reaching out and covering this. because It really is a, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity and a, and a special garden that we got to put together with a lot of different people. Well, you, you, when you get back into the States, uh, Matt, you got to come back on the show, and, and we'll chat about uh, the conservatories uh, as well. How's that? That sounds great, and I just want to give everybody the heads up to continue to check Facebook for the Garfield Park Conservatory uh, Facebook page and Twitter. We're continuing to send photos and video home when we can, and we'll be just continuing to update it so everyone can see images and video from the Garden Show. That's, that's, a, that's great advice. Can, can I just add, uh, we really did appreciate having the guys from Chicago here. They did bring more than the garden. They brought a, a really little bit of a bright piece of imagination to city art using plants. So I'm hoping that when they're gone home, even if the bridge crumbles, uh, they're leaving a mark on bloom which uh, shows how plants can be used in contemporary art because most people who see this garden really do get it and they get the connection between plants art and structure now uh all it takes is one look at that photo and i've got the photo up uh on my blog post it is elegant it is simple um it's really a stunning design and you executed it to perfection so congratulations pat fitzgerald and Matt too. <laughs> uh, and, and Matt too, and Peggy too, and everybody who I, I meant all of you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right, folks. I gotta let you go. We, and uh, goodbye from travels. All right, cheers. Bye bye. Wow, that was fun. Yeah, I uh, can't wait to see that. Uh, it's when they don't bring it yes. to Chicago. Well, hopefully they will do a photo. Inst- <laughs> I was going to ask them if there's like a photo install that they would do. At the conservatory. Uh, you know, maybe they will. Well, but as I said, they're going to post on the Garfield yeah. Park Conservatory site. You can go there and see all the photos as they come in. Peggy? You've heard this statement many times on Mike's program. It's the biology, stupid. When <laughs> yeah, said, I do say that yeah. from time to time, don't I? Yeah, and when you say that, you're usually talking about how the soil and certain chemicals and certain horticultural practices can wreak havoc with the macroscopic and microscopic critters down there. But the same thing applies to critters you can actually see, like birds and insects and amphibians and reptiles and mammals. If you don't give them a good home, they're going to pack up and leave, or worse, simply stop reproducing. That's where natural communities' native plants come in. Natural communities' native plants are locally grown and sourced, featuring more than 150 species native to the Chicago region. And those plants have been working for thousands of years with our local pollinators and other critters. That's why you should garden with native plants. And in Chicagoland, the way to do that is with Natural Communities Native Plants. Go to naturalcommunities.net. Captain's log, stardate 42326.1. The Enterprise is under attack by an apparently hostile life form. Mr. Wolf, status report. Inexplicable, Captain. They appear to be perambulating vegetables. We are being stalked by stalks of asparagus. 
That is incorrect, Mr. Warp. Killer asparagus was the subject of a very popular 21st century tome by the brilliant author Mike Novak. Mike Novak. I'm familiar with his work, and so am I. Mike Novak was one of the smartest, funniest people in the horticultural world of the 21st century. Tell me more, Mr. Data. He has been variously compared to Mark Twain, Dave Barry, and Edgar Allan Poe. Raven Gosplach, my favorite holiday dish. Thank you, Mr. Wolf. Mr. Data, options. It seems to be available online at AroundTheBlockPress.com. AroundTheBlockPress.com. What do they have to say? Hmm. It appears that Mike Novak is a slapstick every gardener. I prefer my asparagus with a side of patach Mr. Wolf, are you joking? Actually, Captain, I believe he is choking. To the Mike Novak Show, still Chicago's only locally broadcast deep green gardening and environment program. Broadcasting live every Sunday from the Genesis Art Supply Building on North Elston Avenue on Q4 Radio and at MikeNovak.net. Here he is again, Mike Novak. This is what I call music. We should just play this all day long. Can I do yeah, can you do the Charleston? A little bit. Really? That's good. We could do the uh, Jimmy Stewart thing where he falls into the pool. <laughs> oh, Mary, 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 what's, a, <laughs> what's happened to us, Mary? Where's our kids? I need you, Mary. All right, sorry. On with the if show. I, if I go into a Jimmy Stewart rant, <laughs> then it's all over, as uh, everybody knows. I am so pleased to have Michael Howard here in the studio and Amelia as well uh, and... Uh, Amelia Howard. I assume you have the same last name. Same last yeah, last okay. 33 years. Last yes. 33. Well, yes. you know, sometimes women are independent. Mm-hmm. They don't, they don't want to, you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily want to give away my name, but, you know, sometimes it's, it is it is what it is. We're old school, Mike. Uh, you're totally old. <laughs> well, you know, you, you are. And the way I say that is uh, in a good way because you're old school in that you fight for your neighborhood. Uh, that's a good way to be old school. Um, and Michael Howard is the driving force uh, behind Eden Place Nature Center in the Fuller Park neighborhood of Chicago, 43rd and Shield. That's correct. Uh, and you've added uh, a lot, haven't you? Oh, in the recent years, we've added at least three and a half more acres uh, to the Eden Place family. Uh, just south of the Nature Center, uh, we've been uh, building out a brand new Eden Place farm, another three and a half acre farm, uh, to uh, increase the local produce that our small farm has been producing for the last four years. And so now we'll be expanding that program with an educational program as well around urban agriculture. So, what kind of stuff are you growing there? Well, if you can find it in the grocery stores, pretty much we're <laughs> growing it, trying to basically. Uh, provide fresh produce locally and also provide jobs. It's a workforce development program designed by our parent corporation, Fuller Park Community Development, 
to provide sorely needed jobs in the Fuller Park community. Um, I've been down there, and um, you're trying to put t- together a permanent nature center. Now, I didn't even, when I was there, which was a couple of years ago, um, when we shot a thing again, bringing up Dig in Chicago, um, you had just plowed out the area or bulldoze the area where you were going to put that. Exactly. And now you have well, a foundation. Currently, Mike, we have a foundation for the <laughs> permanent building at the Nature Center, and that's a 7,600 square foot facility that will be providing full time environmental education 365 days a year and also we'll be so happy to be introducing a full-time steady after-school program for the local children to give them uh, something to do after school and get them off the streets and get them uh, doing productive activities in and around uh, ecology, biology, STEM sciences, as well as agriculture. I'm going to ask you to move in just a little bit closer to that okay. microphone. Can you, you actually, oh, well, your your voice picks up well. I just want to make sure people are hearing this um, in in the full fidelity, <laughs> which is due <laughs> to this. Um, and you're 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 an interesting guy in that. Uh, and you and I have talked about this oh, before, yeah. and I don't want to bust you on anything, but I don't think I am. No. Uh, okay, good. Uh, some people say, you know, Michael, you got to get the money first, and then you build. And you've built first, and now you're trying to get the money. I mean, you're doing a little of each. You've, 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 basically, what you've done all along is, okay, first of all, and folks should know that this was a toxic dump site. Yes, it was. And it was your neighborhood. It was my neighborhood. Right. And you found out that your children had elevated levels of lead. That's correct. Uh, and it might have been due to what was going on right in that that piece of land or other things in the community, but you just said, I'm done with that. We've we got to fix this. Yeah, the problem exacerbated itself to the point where uh, we were finding lead almost everywhere in our environment, uh, not only in the toxic, toxic, empty, vacant lots in our neighborhood, but also in our water, in our homes, uh, most of our homes uh, were built right after the Chicago fire in 1871. And so they were built by actually German immigrants with uh, modest means. And so they were built with the most affordable uh, materials at the time. And a lot of that included lead, from the lead water pipes to the lead paint. Uh, and so the asbestos uh, shingles, the asbestos floor tiles, uh, a lot of toxicity went into building a lot of communities around the United States in the same manner, which uh, exposed uh, the humans living in those environments to a lot of toxicity. So you must look at this situation in Flint, Michigan and go, oh, been there, done that. You 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 took the words right out of my <laughs> mouth, Michael. I said, listen, we've been there, people. We've done it. As a matter of fact, we've actually uh, been working that program uh, till this day trying to uh, get the word out about the remaining lead that still exists in the homes because most homes in Chicago are serviced by what's called a service line mm-hmm. of lead. I probably I got one of those. Yes. Yeah. From the city yeah. main pipe to your home, you you probably gotten uh, 
the same thing everybody else has gotten, which is a big lead pipe to bring the water from the city main. Mm -hmm. And so unless you've done what Amelia and I had to do was actually replace that with copper uh, to alleviate as much lead as we could out of our family's life. Uh, and we still augment that with uh, a filter that can remove 99% of the lead, which is something we promote throughout the neighborhood. So you, uh, And I heard this recently, I think it was on Tom Hartman's show, that, there, that's, that there's, a, there's a way to do this now that really makes sense to me, and I don't know how feasible it is financially, but the idea is to take copper pipe, run it through mm-hmm. the lead liner, pipe yeah. as a liner, yeah. And I don't know why people didn't think about this, you know, 40, 50 years ago. Um, but then again, we weren't checking the their blood for lead levels, were we? No, we weren't looking at the blood levels back then and didn't understand the ramifications that were affecting our children. Uh, as you will probably find if you look at any real medical study of, uh, of poor neighborhoods, not only in Chicago, but around the world, performing poorly in school. A lot of that had to do uh, directly with the environment, had nothing to do with genetics, had nothing to do with lack of money and resources. It basically had to do with the type of nutrition and quality of uh, air and water that the children were suffering through for many, many years. And there's a direct correlation to when Fuller Park cleaned up its water and lead problem to uh, the schools in the neighborhood and their reading and math scores. There was a direct correlation when we lowered the lead, the reading and math scores went up. That's not surprising. No, it's not surprising to me. It's basic math and basic uh, uh, science when you really know how to read and and interpret the numbers. Mm -hmm. And so the problem we had in the beginning was getting families and, and parents to really understand what their children were suffering with. And they... They, they, it was a slow learning curve, but they finally got it and made the connection with the environment that their children lived in, even in their homes, because culturally, a lot of Chicago homes uses a lot of pesticides in the home to get rid of pests. And a lot of those pesticides cause some serious damage mm-hmm. over the years. I'm talking decades. Yeah, you're, and you're, and you're talking about things like roach control, of ant course. control, of course. Uh, all this. You know, people go, oh, ah, I can't, I can't, ha- I can't have this here. And mm-hmm. you know, and yeah, nobody wants roaches in their in their home. Right. Uh, and ants are a nuisance. The problem is, um, they. I can give you an example. When I was living in Andersonville, okay, uh, in an apartment there renting an apartment, and uh, the landlord said, we're going to bomb the apartment because somebody had roaches somewhere in the building. They weren't in my apartment, but, you know, if they're in one, they're going to end up in all of them. They put so many bombs in that building, um, it was toxic for weeks afterward. And and they have kids. They had young toddlers. And I was thinking... them crawling up the carpeted stairs where all of those toxins were absorbed mm-hmm. by that mm-hmm. material. And, you know, and I was fearing for myself. And all I can think of is, these guys are idiots. And But there's a lot of idiots in the world. <laughs> and they're doing the same thing. Well, Mike, I think a lot of us were idiots because of ignorance. I remember, I don't know about you, but when I came up in, as a youth in Chicago, we used to go around with these spray cans that we used to mm-hmm. spray fly 
repellent and fly uh, killer yeah. on each other just to get rid of the flies in the summertime. Ugh. We had no Ugh. sense at all. So, you know, ignorance is not always bliss. No, I. Uh, the guy who started Gardens Alive tells us, he was on my program years ago, and he tells a story about when he was a kid, when he was a teenager, and the farms used to spray 2,4-D uh, along the 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 ditches mm-hmm. to, to clear the weeds out and he and his buddies would take their shirts off and follow behind in a hot day because they were cooled by cool. the spray <laughs> they were cooled by the spray of 24d wow yeah uh wow. it's this is the world we live in yes, or it used to live used in to. Uh, however that hasn't changed and i know i've gotten off of eden place <laughs> and by the way that's michael well and i knew this was going to happen this is what happens when i talk to michael howard um michael howard <laughs> and Amelia Howard here in the studio, uh, we will get back to, because it all ties in, uh, but a study came out that was done at Purdue, just and it was just released on the 31st. Oh, George has given us a... Boilermaker. Boilermaker in the room. Boilermaker alert. Okay. Oh, no, you got to do the beer ding. Not do the exactly. <laughs> Have we got a shot ding here? <laughs> um, and uh, the study just came out. And they were researching, uh, they, it was about bees around uh, cornfields mm-hmm. in, in uh, Indiana. And they found that the pollen contained 32 different types of pesticides. Here's the deal. There were some neonicotinoids, which is the stuff that the mm-hmm. farmers use to, for their corn, the mm-hmm. Roundup Ready stuff. Um, but... Uh, there's also, there were a lot of pyrethroids. That's the stuff that we use at home. That's right. Roach killer. The roach killer, the mosquito killer. Mm-hmm. Oh, got to get rid of those those wasps. Oh, Can't yes. have those around. Mm-hmm. Um, and the first thing we do is spray. That's right. We spray. We just reach for the can of something and we spray. And guess what? The bees are picking that up in the pollen. So they're getting, they were foraging it. The scientists are speculating, the researchers are speculating that they don't just forage in the cornfield. They go wherever. Wherever. Which, you know, and they're picking this up. And so they come back to the hive and there's 32 different pesticides from nine different classes of pesticide. Mm. So it's a toxic stew. And we're still doing and it. And we're still doing it, we're, yes. you, you know, you said it was a different world then. Mm-hmm. It's not so different mm-hmm. because the same people say, i got to spray I can't have a hornet here right. on my back porch. Right. I can't have, oh, if I have a mosquito, I'm going to get West Nile or mm-hmm. Zika. Mm-hmm. Um, although the likelihood of that right now is is, is fairly low. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they won't put the, the dunk in the standing water no. that they have out there or empty the standing water in their backyard. But they'd rather fog their whole backyard so that you're going, <laughs> okay, I <laughs> think. I think we got rid of the mosquitoes. All right. And that's what they do. Because that's what we've been trained to do. There you go. We're ultimate consumers in America. And if it's okay because it's on the radio or on television. Not on this radio station. Or pretty ad, yes. Or pretty ad. Not on this station, though. Well, not on this show. Let me put it that way. I don't think on this station either. But no. Because, and I tell folks, they've been brainwashed. You've been 
brainwashed, all right? You've been told that and, – and the problem is – and okay, and then I'll get off this rant. We'll go back to uh, – <laughs> <laughs> I'm loving this, Mike. Let's, uh, let's keep it going. <laughs> uh, because um, – Oh, I don't know where my train of thought went there. <laughs> I had something good. Let's get let's get back to uh, to Eden Place. Yes, All please. right. So so here you are, and you're discovering these toxins everywhere. And you say we got to clean up this area. And I and I and I'm sorry. We're going through the story again because every time somebody talks to you, you got to tell the whole story oh, again. Oh, it's okay. It's fine. Um, you know, it's time to move forward, and you have, and that's all you got to do is go to EdenPlaceNatureCenter.org, and you can see all the stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. the fact that you're growing food yes. now, uh, and uh, uh, you've got you've got animals on, yes. on site, uh, so we, kids, you know, kids like me love seeing ducks mm-hmm. and chickens mm-hmm. and goats and whatever. Who? What am I? What do I miss? What else you got there? <laughs> We've got turkeys. We've got. Uh, 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 Peking ducks. We've got uh, 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 Toulouse geese. We've got uh, African uh, milking goats. We've got two of the most beautiful Shetland ponies you'll ever see. Oh, I remember the ponies. Oh, yeah, yes. they're cool. They're big rock stars at the Nature Center. <laughs> and along with the uh, greenhouses and all of the plants uh, at Eden Place, they put on a great show uh, to expose the Southside residents, or actually all of Chicago that visit us. Uh, exposed them to the wonders of the great outdoors. And that's the thing. I've been there when the kids have come. Mm-hmm. And kids are kids. Yes. They just, they their eyes bug open and they go, oh, it's a, can, I, can I pet the chicken and mm-hmm. can I pet the pony? And mm-hmm. and they just, they, they follow along like a herd uh, <laughs> themselves. <laughs> You know, or a flock of geese. You watch the geese, and of then course. the kids are following along like another flock. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what the amazing thing is. Um, and you've brought that to the middle of the south side of Chicago. Well, I mean, my, and you guys can't be much more in the middle of the south side of Chicago. Can't be any more middle than where we are. And my wife is now a retired preschool teacher. And, of course, 17 years ago when we started bringing youth outdoors and exposing to the great outdoors, we would encourage them to touch and to explore and to do what's called today nature play. And it's funny, a lot of uh, people back then would uh, take children into their, uh, their open space and tell the children, don't touch that, don't pull this, don't, don't leave the path, don't walk on the grass. <laughs> and we thought that was so amazing because we thought that was totally anti, you know, what really needs to be done to turn these young people on to really becoming the stewards that we need them to be so that our survival for our, our prodigies, you know, is better improved. And so over the years, it's funny, we've seen a lot of organizations, I won't call any, who have now resorted to using the very tactics that my wife and I designed for Eden Place 17 years ago. Amelia, get up. I mean, sorry. Yeah, get up, get up by that mic. Come on, because uh, you're 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 not getting a free ride here. Okay. Oh, yes, I'm here and I have a voice. Yeah, th- that's right. And you I got know. you got to speak right into an unfortunate. Right into the mic. Okay. There, there you go. All right. Is this guy nuts? No, we don't claim nuts. We claim <laughs> uh, um, willing to share information act on him. <laughs> uh, but but if he's nuts, you're nuts too. Then. That's right. That's, that's right. right. I, I go with the flow. So, uh, you know, you talk about the techniques you use to bring kids and, and, and how to teach them. Is, is this stuff you knew all along or you discovered it while you were teaching? I think it was sort of, we knew it all along, 
because we're avid campers. Michael introduced me to the camping world. Uh-oh. So uh, we raised our kids under camping. And, we and realized, fishing. Uh, camping and fishing. And we realized that there was a portion missing in inner city kids. They've always been taught, stay away from the woods, stay away from the forest. There's danger there. And we had to redress it and package it so that it's a fun thing. Which was sort of easy because once you get kids outside, they become different creatures. Yeah. It's the wide open space that kind of lights them up on the inside. Our method was to introduce teaching to them while they're having fun. So it's, and, and that's a no age thing, you know, from a baby to 110. No, but if you're happy, you're receptive to you're ideas. Receptive. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah, and we're trying to show them that in nature, there's fun and that there's jobs. And uh, a lot of our inner city kids have an, something built in them that's natural, but they just haven't, nobody's plugged that plug into them. So that's what we do. We plug the plug into them, give them an electrical shock, and then they teach us. Uh, I just saw a tweet. I happened to, to check here. Um, uh, Melanie tweeted, surprise, surprise, if you take lead out of the water, that children drink, their test scores go up. <laughs> yeah, really. Oh, yeah. Ah, you know, but that's so hard. So, so here we are. You had all these techniques, and then and, and Michael says, um, we, we have to build something permanent here. Uh, and, and this takes us all the way back to the beginning where I was saying that you've, you've done things one step at a time where – there are people who would say, well, I'm not doing anything until I got all my ducks in a row, to use that uh, uh, cliche. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you said, no, we, we'll, we're going to do it as we do it. And mm-hmm. just because if we don't, it'll never happen. And I understand that concept as well. So mm-hmm. you're, you've built this uh, center, the, the nature center, the foundation, and you didn't have the funds for the rest of the building. And I imagine that people have come to you and said, are you nuts, like I just said? <laughs> Yeah, we've had a lot of uh, criticism, actually, from uh, a larger uh, portion of Chicago that does these types of activities the and big curriculums. Boys, right? And, you know, we've been criticized and said, Michael, you really need to do a fundraiser. And I keep telling them, I would love for you to do a fundraiser for me because <laughs> I am not a fundraiser. I'm basically an educator, along with my wife, we're educators. And we've been able to build a curriculum uh, with two tents and a trailer outdoors and it has grown to a uh, internationally recognized uh, model for best practices my wife and i were invited over to london uh, to a place called spitalfield farms last year where we went over to uh, share our best practices and while we're in london we got invited to germany to go over to germany and speak to some farmers in regards to what they were doing in urban agriculture and we found out a great deal of information about how uh, people around the world are being faced with the same problems. And so if we had waited to raise the capital to do it the conventional way of building the building and building the site and they will come, we really would not have an Eaton Place today that has uh, uh, won so many awards from EPA, Bank of America, uh, Open Lands, uh, we've been very fortunate. The White House visited us and used us as a model for the Great Outdoor Initiative. Uh, we've been written up uh, by the First Lady on her blog 
as uh, one of the most uh, outstanding inner city uh, nature centers that uh, they've seen to date. And so we've been very, very fortunate to be recognized for the work that we've done. But we still don't have a permanent building. Yeah. We're Darn still it. in a trailer. Still working on that. But I'm, I'm also thinking that you probably were much more accepted of what you were doing, that you didn't come in with this shiny, fancy new building. Mm-hmm. You were more approachable. Yes. Kids felt more at home. I and now you're, you're right. at the place that you can have that building. I, I think you're absolutely right because uh, a lot of times you're dealing with cultural barriers here. Mm-hmm. And so we didn't have those other barriers when children went like to bigger institutions, you know, that had a guard at the door, you know, and a lot of people yeah. don't understand it's the ramifications yeah. of even that, uh, something as simple as a security guard. And so uh, because we were so open and because we were so transient, you know, the teachers even, you know, who didn't like the great outdoors would come. I mean, when we first started eating place, I remember the teachers who would come in high heels and I would say, <laughs> did, you, did you know where you were coming today? It says Eden Place Nature Center. And so we've actually educated a lot of Chicago public school teachers as well as parochial schools because we, we get visited uh, from uh, visits from children from all over the suburban uh, areas that uh, counter, counter collars that, uh, that surround Chicago. And then every summer we have at least 300 visitors who come from out of state to spend an entire week learning about Eden Place and our best practices. Well, things have changed a little because now you've got some partners. Yes, we do. And you're going to do that benefit Mm -hmm. and raise that money. Yes. Um, And you're working with the Brookfield Zoo. How did that come about? Well, Brookfield Zoo was one of the organizations that approached us for a partnership that didn't just say, come and do a photo op with us and we'll say we're your partner. They actually came to us and said, what do you need? And that was very inspiring for my wife and I both because we have, uh, we've, been, we've been involved in a, quite a few endeavors that were great endeavors in themselves, but they left us feeling kind of like a, a worn-out wash rag. Mm-hmm. Nothing in terms of benefits or resources ever came back to our organization. And so after you, if I can interrupt for a second, okay, I was, I've been in the trailer with you there Mm -hmm. and you have shown me this wall full of uh, wards and plaques. Oh yes. And, and, and and I've heard you say, I only wish a little more money came with that. Yes, exactly. You know, and it's great to have the recognition, but the real recognition is believe in what I'm doing. So help me make this go further. Exactly. And, and I'm, I'm so glad that you got it, Mike. And I've been very forward and straight and upfront with everyone that comes and says they want to be a partner. And Brookville Zoo says, okay, what do you need? How can we help? And how can we help build the capacity of Eden Place Nature Center? And so from that partnership, we actually entered into a uh, a, a MOU, which uh, came up with a grant uh, application that we actually won with the National Science Foundation. It was a $1.5 million grant, a four-year grant to develop a STEM curriculum for the children of Fuller Park. Fabulous. Congratulations. Yes, and so we've we've been working uh, uh, very diligently with the community, and uh, UIC is also part of that STEM grant as our evaluator to build a curriculum that really benefits the children from a cultural 
and a local standpoint. None of this, you know, everything, you know, one size fits all type of curriculum. And we're hoping that from this uh, four-year grant when it's over, that we'll be able to show some real growth in our math and science scores and our technology ability of our youth in Fuller Park that's going to maybe become a, a pattern that others can replicate. And so Brookfield Zoo also, as a partner, has offered their facilities. This fall, they will be hosting a fundraiser for Eden Place to build the building. Uh, as Mike, you mentioned earlier, we do have the foundation in. We have put, <laughs> we've, we've put a quarter million dollars in the ground, so all of the infrastructure is ready for the walls and the roof. And so we need an additional 850000 to just put the superstructure up, which is phase two. Right. And so Brookfield Zoo has uh, graciously offered their facility to uh, host us, and we hope that this September uh, date to be announced. Uh, which we will announce on this show, too. Well, thank you very much. Uh, we will be able to raise the, uh, the funds needed to complete phase two, which will be the entire superstructure with walls and roof and windows and doors. Yay. Yay. Yes, yes, yes. So we, we, we welcome any and all partners that would like to help us. You can go to EdenPlaceNatureCenter.com and you can make a donation today. You don't have to wait to September. No, you don't. And I would advise people to do that. And I've got that information on my website if you, uh, if you go to MikeNovak.net um, and uh, look for information on uh, this week's show and scroll down to our conversation here. I've got the link to Eden Place Nature Center. And, oh, it's just, uh, you, know, you know, one of the things I said uh, about it on there that I was going to start the conversation with and just completely forgot, but it occurs to me that there are people out there who have created something out of nothing. You had less than nothing. In a sense. You know what I mean? Yeah, we started in you a started, deficit. You, yeah, you were in a deficit. Correct. And and to have gone this far. And, and one of the things you've got going there now that I think is, is really cool, and maybe you can tell me a little bit. I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot of great things uh, going on. You know, you have uh, the, the George Washington Carver Research, Research Station. What's yes. that all about? Well, basically, because we want to inspire more scientists, we want to ins uh, inspire more biologists, we've, we partnered with IIT University uh, with a graduate class, and they came in and did an astounding job uh, designing uh, the George Washington Carver uh, uh, Nature Studio, which is a passive building that basically utilizes very little energy to provide a learning laboratory so that when children come to Eden Place, they'll actually be able to sit behind a microscope and look at the protozoa and plankton that exists in the, uh, in the, in the wetland waters there. They'll be able to actually look in a microscope and, and uh, figure out uh, what type of other animals that are living in the ecosystems that exist in our world. They'll be able to learn how to do water samples. They'll learn uh, the different uh, uh, plant materials and how they are structured and how uh, protoplasm and, and chlor chlorophyll exist in just a leaf to inspire children at an earlier age, I believe, my wife believe, is the key to creating more engineers, more biologists, more scientists, because America's falling behind. I lived in Europe a few years, and I was just astounded at the level 
of math and science skills of children in third grade. There was a child when I was in, I was doing a project in Lagos, Nigeria, three years ago, and a little kid that I was exposed to, he couldn't have been no more than a pre-K, came home with his homework and, and this little log that he kept. And I happened to just say, can I see it? And I looked at his, his workload and his homework that the teacher would write what his homework was that, that day in his log, and his parents would show him what to do. But I, I noticed something about the level of competency for a pre-K. It was at least third or fourth grade reading and mm-hmm. math and math in the pre-K stages. Now, this is a, a poor neighborhood in Lagos, Nigeria. No formal books a slate for a, a, a writing tablet, but the math skills were through the roof compared to America schools. And I'm saying it's, it has nothing to do with the technology. It has nothing to do with how many computer labs you have. It has to do something with the social fabric of the families and the communities and how they structure themselves and provide an environment that education is important. And somehow in Chicago on the south side, I'm not going to speak for nobody else, but on Chicago on the south side, my children have not been taught the importance of that education. And also, uh, for decades, they could not even retain a good education if they got it because their mothers and their fathers suffered through all of those contaminations we've been talking about today. Not only just the lead, but also the pyrethians and all the other asbestos and mercury uh, contaminants that we lived with for years. I remember as a, a child, we used to break thermometers to play with uh, the mercury. Oh, yeah, you, you roll it yeah, around in you your hands. In oh, yeah, yeah. Didn't cool understand stuff. that that was very toxic stuff, but no one taught us that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I got a tweet from uh, KC Tomato. And uh, KC, if you're, you're listening, you get a ding. He says, many of the pesticides are, were, all right, colon esterase. Inhibitors. Mm-hmm. Did I even pronounce that right? Which do serious nerve damage. Exactly. Um, and so that's all part of the heritage we have. But you, you know, speaking of the education, I think um, what we've done to our educational system in this country is a sin. Mm-hmm. Really, um, we have a lot to answer for. Yes, we do. Um, and especially in terms of creating haves and have-nots. Yes. You know, it. You're right when you say I can't speak for other systems, and mm-hmm. it's quite possible that some kids are getting a great education, right. and a lot aren't. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the others, Among the other things you've got going at uh, Eden Place Nature Center are uh, the monarch propagation and monitoring, <laughs> one of the things near and dear to my heart. Oh, yes. We've been, uh, when Governor Quinn was the governor, he actually uh, christened us the state's uh, uh, official monarch butterfly learning center. And he, he uh, would spend many days on Eden Place. As a matter of fact, uh, he actually signed the Illinois' first uh, environmental social justice bill into law right on Eden Place. And that was a very historic event. And the monarch butterflies to us are always going to be an integral part of Eden Place as we partner with the Metroacon Reserve uh, in that uh, monarch migratory uh, uh, flyway. And so... We've actually had the director for Metuacan uh, Butterfly uh, 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 Reserve at Eden Place to talk about how we can partner our youth together. And what we ended up doing was we had a 
a satellite truck link up with the reserve that we invited partners from around the world. And it turned into an international conversation of children. We had children from uh, Great Britain. We had children from uh, Australia uh, chiming in on the satellite feed on the day of the broadcast. It was called Monarch Live. And we work in conjunction. I like that. We work in conjunction with the international program of the United States Forestry Service. And so they also have been very uh, great partners with us on the butterfly and migratory bird uh, programs that we run at Eden Place. And so we have to give a shout out to to our friends at the uh, U.S. Forest Service International Program. Yeah, I noticed that they're one of your supporters mm-hmm. as well. Uh, Amelia, uh, yes. we're almost done here. Um, what would you like to see added to Eden Place if you had your druthers? If I had a message to send to everybody out there, it would be Eden Place is like the, the train. I think I can. I think I can. <laughs> I think I can. And because we don't allow things to stand in our way, we continue on. But people have, I would like for them to understand we function better when we have financial support. We are a neighborhood of people who are always in a survival mode. I'm teaching you about growing. I'm teaching you about how to take care of your family. But the truth of the matter, our people are always in a survival mode of how can I feed my kids? How can I pay my rent? Uh, My lights are off. My gas is off. And I really think Eden Place was set where it is to give those people a place to come to where they leave all that baggage on the outside of Eden Place, that they can come in and react with their kids, where we can see a father play with his daughter for the first time without any limitations on just having fun, that the stress of the world is on the outside. But in order for us to keep that motion going, it's like everything else. We need financial support. Um, If you come to us and see what we do, you will leave saying this is a special place on the earth, not just the south side. So all of those people that come in and don't know what just pure natural nature joy is, that's what we give them. We give them a sense of ownership, a sense of I put my hands in the soil and this is what I produce. If I produce well enough, we teach them a yard full of tomatoes is an income. Teaching your kids about science and understanding the bugs in the soil is what we do. But just remember, I can teach my kids better with the real microscope. I don't have to pretend I have a microscope. Wow, that's inspiring. Uh, Real quickly, a couple of things. The soil's good, by the way. It used to be toxic. The good stuff got shipped in. So so you don't have to worry about the kids putting their hands in the soil. That's a good thing. Uh, You talked about the joy. I've seen it. I've seen those kids there and seen the joy. Mm -hmm. And the third thing is, you talk about the money. And I know what you guys are going to do. If you get it, you're going to say thank you. If you don't get it, you're going to do it anyway. You're going to continue to do what you're doing anyway. Exactly. Um, I'd rather you didn't have to do it, 
that way. So I would urge folks who are listening to this show right now, go on, go online. Go to EdenPlaceNatureCenter.org and, and, you know, give them 10 bucks, give them 25 bucks. It doesn't take a lot, okay? And help the, what they're, they're in the neighborhood. They're in the hood, okay? They're, how many people are in the hood doing this stuff, okay? 17 years. 17 years. I mean, do it for the 17 years alone. <laughs> there you go. Uh, Michael and Amelia Howard, thank you so much. It's and always thank such you. a pleasure you. having you here. And, uh, and we're going to make it happen. And you'll be back uh, when we have uh, word from uh, Brookfield Zoo when that event Exactly. Okay. Uh, You've heard this statement many times on my program. Um, It's the biology, stupid. And when I say that, I'm usually talking about soil and how certain chemicals and certain horticultural practices can wreak havoc with the microscopic and macroscopic critters down there. But the same thing applies to critters you can actually see. The birds and insects and amphibians and reptiles and mammals, if you don't give them a good home. Well, they're going to pack up and leave, or worse, simply stop reproducing. That's where natural communities' native plants come in. Natural communities' native plants are locally grown and sourced, featuring more than 150 species native to the Chicago region. And those plants have been working for thousands of years with our local pollinators and other critters. That's why you should garden with native plants. And in Chicagoland, the way to do that is with Natural Communities Native Plants. Go to naturalcommunities.net. Did you know that Genesis is the Midwest's largest source of airbrush supplies? Find out more at chicagoairbrushsupply.com or artsupply.com. Or stop into the showroom at 2525 North Elston and say that you heard about them on Q4 Radio and get an extra 10% off their already discounted prices all month long. Genesis, Chicago's only privately owned art supplier, serving all of Chicago's artistic framing and drafting needs since 1946. It's not just your garden. It's the way you live. And there's so much to know. But you have help. Bonnie Plants. Now with Bonnie's app, Homegrown, you can learn about veggie and herb varieties, track and record your garden with photos and notes, share on Facebook and Twitter, and so much more. How'd you ever grow without it? Get Homegrown with Bonnie Plants for iPhone and Android. The more you know, the better you can grow with Bonnie. Did you know Chicagoans are getting healthier all the time? Hi, I'm Peggy, and I know this is true because for six years I've been publishing Natural Awakening, Chicago's greenest and healthiest magazine. And if you want your message to reach this growing market, you do need to get your business in front of our readers. Why? Because our advertisers tell us that our targeted readers are committed to improving their health and ready to take action. That's more than 80,000 people in Chicagoland who will respond to your message. They're looking for holistic wellness practitioners, integrative doctors and dentists, nutritionists, health coaches, yoga instructors, even home improvement and landscape experts. Natural Awakenings is a free monthly magazine available in more than 1,100 locations throughout Cook, Lake, and McHenry counties. Call me today to expand your market and grow your business. 847-858-3697. That's 847-858-3697. Natural Awakenings. Feel good, live simply, laugh more. Trying to weather the housing market? Consider replacing your windows and siding. Remodeling Magazine says they're some of the nation's most popular projects today. 
Trust DR Services Unlimited, 847-998-1687 for all your remodeling and energy needs. Rated A-plus by the Better Business Bureau and recommended on Angie's List. DR is a proud member of NARI. DR provides exceptional quality at a fair price. Contact DR at 847-998-1687 or at RestoreTheNorthShore.com. This is Heather Fry. Every time I open up an issue of Chicagoland Gardening Magazine, I know I'm going to learn something. And that's in spite of Mike Novak's column on the inside back page. If you've ever read it, you know what I'm talking about. Anyway, in Chicagoland Gardening, you might pick up some knowledge in one of the excellent feature articles, or in one of the regular departments like Ask the Garden Pros, or the Regional Reports, or What to Do in the Garden, or you might be inspired by one of the luscious photos. And Chicagoland Gardening Magazine is just one of 21 different publications of state-by-state gardening. Wherever you live in the Midwest or the South, state-by-state gardening has a magazine for you. They feature articles by some of the leading gardening experts in each state including famous authors, nursery owners, state extension agents, master gardeners, even Mike. Subscribe today by going to statebystategardening.com or call 888-265-3600. That's 888-265-3600. When I send out an SOS, it usually goes out to Rick DeMaio, uh, meteorologist. Uh, Mr. DeMaio, good morning. How are you? Hello, Rick. You know, that was a perfect segue. Rick, are you there? I'm here, Mike. Good morning. Good morning. I couldn't hear you a second ago, but I'm, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad I'm here as well. Lovely, um, <laughs> lo- lo- lovely, lovely June day in late April. Uh, <laughs> it's giving the tomatoes a rest. Hey, listen, I, I, I'm trying to figure it out myself, and I and I didn't yeah. I didn't know if there was much to be said about it. It's a, it's a little cool, and you know, it was just when I put my tomatoes out, the weather decides to get a little cooler. Now, why did you do that? <laughs> I, I and and if you like cool weather, you'll like the next three days. I, mean, I just I just finished looking at some. Uh, guidance uh, just about five minutes ago, and you know, upstream temperatures right now are in the 50s across Wisconsin and parts of Minnesota. Uh, the warmth has built out west, and that's always a sign of whatever. Whenever it gets cool in the Midwest, it stays cool. Um, but there's still some signs that you know there's a there's a couple of days of you know warm, if not uh, hot weather, expected by the end of the week. And you know, every once in a while, you, you try to look at the pattern. And I, I mentioned this, it's, it's like the last two weeks of May, the first two weeks of June are similar to like the last two weeks of November and the first two weeks of December. It kind of helps you get a feel or kind of get a grip on, on uh, you know, the summer or the upcoming winter. Um, and this is almost looking a little bit like, like 1998, which was a post-El Nino year. Um, you get into these, you know, pockets of, you know, very warm weather on, on top of, you know, recent rains across the deep south and, you know, typically it leads to when you do get warm, you get humid. And I, and I think we can all agree that we haven't had too many days of dry weather so far in April, May, and even the first week of June. So if it does get warm, the humidity is definitely going to be a huge component of it. And I think that's probably what we're setting up at least for the first half of the summer. It's hard always to say what the second half is going to look like, but 
it's certainly kind of leaning in that direction. Yeah, you mentioned 1998, and I don't know how many folks remember that, but I do. Uh, that was that was a crazy hot, dry year, especially dry. And I and and the the reason. I remember is because I was playing softball that year, and there was this Clarendon Park, which is at Montrose and Lakeshore Drive. Um, by the end of the summer, there wasn't a blade of grass on there. It had, it was, <laughs> honest to goodness, it was all dust. Um, right, I, right, had, yeah. I had never seen anything like that. So you don't, you don't think we're headed in that direction, do you? No, no, not, not at this point, not at this point. But, you know, it's interesting, like, that you mentioned there wasn't a blade of grass uh, and it was dust because this is the difference between, um, you know, when you have large patches of grass that's just left to do what it wants to do and large patches of grass that are utilized by humans. So if you think <laughs> about it, if you have – no, and, and this is a good point because when you think about it, when you have people constantly beating down on, you know, baseball diamonds and softball diamonds, unless you actually treat the grass – um, it's basically going to get ruined. So think about all those areas in parts of Africa and parts of South America that when they go through droughts or, you know, extensive heat waves, they don't really have the knowledge or the, or, uh, or the resources. And I mean, I mean extensive knowledge on how to apply resources to areas that need them. Um, and then what happens is you basically ruin the soil after you ruin the grass. So it's just another example of, I think, getting... Um, kids today and students today to understand how the human element um, is, is such a big part of, of how we of how we affect the environment. And, and, I, and I bring this up because, you know, every Sunday morning I, I wake up and I turn on Meet the Press and then I watch this weekend. It's, it's now becoming Meet the Depressed because here, here is George Stephanopoulos talking to the senator who's in charge of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, asking him all these important questions about Donald Trump's ability to be president and to handle foreign affairs. And not one question that was addressed to him did he answer honestly or answered with any sort of, of conviction. And I'm thinking, my God, what are these kids today, you know, being exposed to from a political standpoint? They're, they're not being given anything that's trustworthy on the other side. And I think the same would, would be the case. If, if he ended up being elected, it would literally reverse about seven or eight years of, of education on the environment, on climate change. It's a very, very disturbing trend, Mike. Um, by the way, uh, my buddy Mike Sanders and I call that program Be Depressed. So, oh, yeah. Uh, uh, and, and, and the other thing that, you know, you mentioned that, and, and yeah, uh, watching politicians squirm and dodge and evade is really painful. Uh, but the other problem is that you you probably didn't hear a single question uh, about climate change this morning, did you? Uh, I, I have to say, I didn't watch as much as I thought. I had a whole bunch of stuff I needed to do. But um, um, when I was watching and when I was listening, uh, there were no questions about that. It was It was more so based on, you know, what had happened this week with the Mexican judge and what happened with, you know, Trump calling out someone – uh, in the audience, you know, it, it's like one thing after another that that strays away from important issues. Um, and and no, no, the question about climate change rarely comes up. Uh, but you know what? I, I also think it's it's kind of seasonal when you get into these off and on, you know, changing type of um, you know weather events. You know, it's rains, it's cool, it's hot. Unless you have something that's really driving 
the weather focus, I think that's when the question might come back to climate change. You know, someone had asked me, um, you know, is the recent rains down across the Texas area, you know, part of the, you know, residual El Nino? And I said, yeah, absolutely. Look how much rain they've had, you know, in southern Texas, the Houston area, now up to three feet when their typical rainfall for this time of the year is about 15 inches. I mean, their, their, their infrastructure is being completely stressed. And then you look at what's happened, you know, in France, you know, the massive flooding um, in the Paris area. And, Mike, it was this time last year, they had temperatures well into the 100s. So it, it's not so much change, but it's, the, it's just these extreme rates of variability. I, I, don't, I don't know how the farmers, which there are a lot of uh, in France, are, are dealing with, you know, year to year and, and, you know, season to season changes from extreme heat and drought um, into these massive rains. So I think that would be, be a great, great um, question if maybe you can get someone on your program next week that talks about how these high degrees of variability, you know, affects, you know, the wine crop. Because I know that, that, was, that was, like yeah, <laughs> it's like if it, it affects a wine crop, how can life be worth living? Right, right, because, you know, we, you and I, we both like to tip back a glass every once in a while, and I know a lot of other people do. But I got know, one here right now. Yeah. <laughs> Makes the show go by faster. Yeah, it really does. It really does. It, 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 but, but these are important questions to ask, and I don't know if that was part of the discussion on whether or not, you know, these rains, you know, the first thing people will say is, oh, my God, this has probably never happened before. I don't know that they've had some heavy rains in parts of, you know, France and Paris has had the River Seine crest 15 feet before. But it, it's not just that, but it, what, it's what is what happened in the last 12 months, which was completely different. And, and that really makes you kind of squirm a little bit. Uh, well, you have been the guy who's told me for years that the issue here is the variability. And if you can't, con- you know, if, if you have so much variability that you can't uh, count on the weather, you're going to have a hard time growing stuff, aren't you? Right, and, and growing stuff to any degree where it actually has some, some value to its long term. Um, and, I, and I think that's the big question. Now, as far as our rain is here concerned in the Midwest, we had a nice little dousing yesterday. A couple of places got over a half inch. A couple of slow-moving thunderstorms came through. Uh, again, the farmers doing exceedingly well. Just checking the... Um, uh, the last farm report for Illinois and Iowa and Indiana for uh, corn uh, and also soybeans. Obviously, everything's in the ground. About 95 to 98 percent uh, is actually shooting up about an inch, an inch, inch and a half, maybe two inches above the topsoil. Um, we're heading into uh, a cooler period right now, which is okay. The next three days, and we get hot again. Uh, but next weekend, it looks like we get right back into active weather. Um, and really, the next two to three weeks. Um, between the variation of, of rain and dry weather and heat is really, really good for crops. We don't see anything that gets into kind of a long, sustained period of hot weather. And, and usually that's what the farmers like, some sort of variability where you can get, or not variability, but, but, but some sort of, of up and down, dry, wet, dry, wet, where it gives everything a chance to dry out and grow. And, and I think that's definitely what we're headed into over the next probably Probably through the end of the month at this point. So was that basically the forecast? Uh, that, that was more of a long-term, <laughs> long-range prediction. Okay. Uh, get- but there is, there, before I get to the forecast, I, I kind of got that hint. Uh, there is another tropical uh, wave beginning to develop. 
uh, in the Bay of Campeche, if anybody knows, that's the area of uh, Mexico that's basically west of the Yucatan uh, and east of that, of that big bend area. So that's the southern part of the Gulf of Mexico. This is a large system that, that has a lot of disorganization, but it does look like it's going to become a tropical storm. It would be, it would be called Colin. Um, and if it does develop, it's probably going to develop um, as a weak tropical in summer, it's not going to become a hurricane. Uh, but but again, these are these are these are these are. What, what's that? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was I was speaking out of school here in the room. I didn't realize you could hear me there. So go oh. go ahead. Sorry. Just keep <laughs> yeah, keep talking about the okay. hurricane. And and from what I understand, Colin has already has already had enough strength to jump over the wall. So we're not he's not worried about that. Uh, but it will be heading into the Gulf of Mexico, reaching Florida. Uh, with quite a bit of rain. In the wait, last wait, wait, whoa! Wait, was that a Trump joke? Yeah, that, that was a Trump joke. Yeah. All right, you get a you get a beer ding for that. All right. <laughs> yeah, he, yeah, he, he he got he got over the wall, uh, and is going to open up his own um, his own lawn care lawn lawn care service somewhere between Wilmette and Kenilworth once he gets up here, and he'll probably do quite well because there's a there. By the way, Mike, I don't know if you noticed this, but the, the city of Evanston has banned. Um, all of those leaf blowers, um, you can't use them after the, yep, after the 15th of May up until I believe it's October 15th. You can use it during the fall, but you can't do it. You can't use it during the normal, uh, cleanup during the course of the week. I love it. I think it's great. Those things are noisy and they pollute. Is that all including the electric ones or just the gas powered? Because a lot of them have banned the gas powered ones. I, you know what? That's a good question because my neighbor yesterday, Without using his, and the city of Chicago, uh, the city of Evanston police officer came by and said you can't use that, hmm. and he pointed it out that it was an electric one, but it didn't. I don't think the police officer knew it was electric because it was charged, and it didn't. It was no, in other words, it was an unplugged one. Yeah. So I don't, I don't think he noticed that, but I got a feeling if it's electric, it's fine. But we all know that every one of those lawn care services don't use electric. No, they, they do. They do not. No. But this would be, but this would be a good time for them to go to that because clearly they're not as noisy, and then they're probably not using as much, you know, diesel fuel, and obviously polluting the environment. So while they may be hemming and hawing about it, there's a good reason for it. Um, but the bottom line, uh, probably low to mid 70s today. It's not bad out there right now. I mean, the humidity is still a little bit high, uh, so a mainly cloudy day. The best part of the day is going to be generally after about. One o'clock when the sun really begins to shine. Uh, shine. So cloudy now, sunny this afternoon, and then a second cold front comes through. So only low to mid seventies tomorrow and into Tuesday. So now we're running about five degrees below average for Monday, Tuesday, and possibly into Wednesday. But all indications show that Thursday and Friday temperatures getting back into the mid eighties, and I would not be surprised if a couple of areas close to us on Friday get into the low 90s with very, very high heat indices. So we'll see how that goes. Hmm. We'll talk more about that next week, but still the next three or four days below average and also dry as well. And then some variability, as you say. Yeah, but, but, but variability is actually good on a, on a small scale. It's a large-scale, long-range stuff that's kind of hard to do. Yeah. All right, Rick DeMaio, thank you so much. Uh, you have a, a great week. We'll talk to you next week. Sounds good, Mike. All right, bye-bye. Uh, before we get out of here, uh, one of the things I wanted to mention, and, and, and I, Muhammad Ali uh, died the other night, and uh, I actually have a Muhammad Ali story. Really? Yeah. I, um, I ran into him 
in Michigan. I, he used to have a home, and I guess he had family in southwest Michigan. So I was in the um, uh, Union Pier area and meeting somebody in a restaurant. And I can't remember whether I was walking in or walking out, but I opened the door, and Muhammad Ali is standing there. So cool. Okay, I know, I know, it's just unbelievable. And um, he, he, uh, he's, I, I, I said, can, can I get the door for you, sir, or something like you know, in in name. And he did one of those things where he's like punching you, the, the shadow punching, you know. And, and he, by this time, he had pretty advanced Parkinson's. This was probably twenty years ago. Uh, and, uh, but he was, you know, really friendly and he did that sort of punch. I said, Oh no, 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 you'll hurt me. Please don't do that. Okay. Uh, and I, and I held the door for him and he either exited or entered. I I can't remember. And I just thought that was Muhammad Ali. I just, I just, I just watched Muhammad Ali go by. And you know, it was interesting because I wasn't the only person he, he did that for everybody is like when he would meet you, he'd do the, the fake punching thing. Um, I also met Walter Payton once, um, and his deal was to pinch your butt. <laughs> it was, and he would do that, and then he would look around like, well, who did that? You know, he was... <laughs> every, so everybody's, all these athletes, they have this thing. They all, yeah. they all, they all have one thing or, or another that, uh, that uh, uh, is their trademark, I guess. It's nice to the see people. when they're actually good people yeah. outside of the actual field or arena. Apparently, Muhammad Ali was was great, um, but you know, obviously, I didn't know him personally. Sure, sure. But you know, we used to hang out in yeah. Union Pier at, the, <laughs> at a restaurant if there. You only had Twitter back then, you know, like little interactions up. like that. That's you know? true. And if I, 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 if there only been Facebook I, yeah. and, and smartphones and <laughs> and what? Selfies. <clears throat> oh boy, I'm glad I didn't. Anybody else? How, how's your Photoshop, George? <laughs> uh, uh, I'll see what I can do. Any other brushes with fame here in the in the studio? I uh, once hit um, Chris O'Donnell's car on my bike. He was coming out of an alley. That was Robin in the old Batman Robin movies. Oh my goodness! And uh, he lived a block away from me on Oakdale, and I hit his car because I was racing my friend around. And he's like, "Oh, sorry, kid, are you okay? Are you okay?" And I was freaked out because I thought, you know, this man is gonna he's gonna take you yeah. to court. Be pissed! I dented his car. But he's, he's cool. <laughs> I used to run into Bill Cartwright up at a coffee shop in Bannockburn all the time, and he was just, you know, you could tell he was in pain, his knees and everything, but he was just the nicest guy saying hi to everybody and just taking time to shake hands all the time. Oh, you know, speaking of that, when I was working at Gargantua Radio, and they would have the the Three Bears program before and after the Bears games, Dan Hampton would come in and waddle and other guys, but Hampton in particular, you know, had, I, I want to say, a dozen surgeries on his knees. Mm-hmm. And he would come into the conference room, and he would lie on the conference table. He would just spread himself out and lie on his back on a conference table just so he could take the weight off of his mm-hmm. knees because mm-hmm. it, it hurt so much for him to move around. Mm-hmm. So I, I think about that every time I see him on TV, and I wonder, uh, you know, how bad's the pain today? But, you know, that's that's the price... He paid for that. Yeah. So, any other uh, uh, trash we can uh, <laughs> we can throw out? Uh, okay, that that's it. Thanks, folks, for listening. Uh, uh, next week. Oh, next week, we're going to talk about bringing the stars back oh, yeah. to, and I don't mean stars like 
Bill Ma Cartwright and, and Muhammad Ali, Ali and, and Dan Hampton. Uh, I'm talking about the stars you see in the sky. Uh, Audrey Fisher will be here. Excuse me one second. <clears throat> and uh, we will talk about the effort by the city of Chicago. They want to upgrade, and I'm using air quotes here, upgrade <laughs> their lighting system the, using LEDs. The problem is unless they're told how to do it right, they'll be shooting that into the sky. And people who, you know, there are kids who have never seen the night sky, who have never seen stars. Um, and we're going to talk about how that can happen. Oh, thank you. Oh, we're also going to have a, a Chicago Farm Report uh, next week. So, uh, And that will feature Patrick Berry. But uh, Veronica Porter from Veterans Victory Farm in Naperville is going to be coming in as well uh, to talk about that. Oh, Casey Tomato just tweeted immediately, yes, light pollution is horrible. Yes, it is. It is. There's no reason for it. That's the problem. Terrible. There's no reason. You can shoot the lights down. You can aim them at the ground. You don't have to aim them up, but we don't pay any attention to that, and that's part of the problem. That's why Audrey uh, will be here to talk about that. She's been on the show before, and so I hope you join us for that conversation. Next Sunday morning, 9 to 11 a.m. on the Mike Novak Show. All I got to say at this point is uh, go green or go home. Go home.